This is the Saturday to Sunday Football Podcast. This is where it all counts. This is why we're here. This is why each one of us are here. And now, here's your host. Welcome back to another edition of the Saturday to Sunday Football Podcast. I am Paul Pertichese, and I am once again excited and privileged to be joined by Sigmund Bloom of Football Guys. Sig, welcome back to the Saturday to Sunday Football Podcast. Always a pleasure. Always a pleasure when we can spend time together and spend time with people that are smart enough and have good enough taste to know that this is one of the best football shows out there. Well, thank you very much for the kind words. I know we talked pre-draft. Matt and I were privileged to come on your draft night uh Football Guys Audible podcast uh, show, video show and podcast as well. And now it's been a while. You know, we're here, you know, July 4th weekend, you know, so some time has passed from the draft. But very unusual with everything that's going on in our country. Usually we have a lot more data points in terms of rookie mini camps and mini camps and a lot more beat reporter stories and, and whispers because usually we're a couple of weeks away from training camp opening up. And there's been a lot of news in general since the draft. But this year is a very different year. How are you kind of looking at it at that, that we have no other data points. Like since the draft night and now there's been almost nothing because they haven't stepped foot on the football field. How is that impacting your overall thought on these guys, whether you still have rookie drafts left to do for dynasty yeah. leagues or, or redraft? Yeah, there's a lot to untangle here. I forget which one of the Giants beat writers. I mean, it was Art Stapleton. I'm not sure which one. A lot of good Giants beat writers saying that, you know, the rookies haven't even got their helmets yet. You know, they haven't even met in person their position coaches and their teammates. So obviously this is going to be a strange year in terms of gauging rookie impact. Paul, it may just come down to who takes their off-season conditioning the most seriously, who took the Zoom sessions and the playbook most seriously, maybe who the who are the self-starters, you know? Who are the players that uh, can organize? And, you know, remember, we're talking about 20, 21, 22-year-old, 23-year-olds. Who can be self-starters and organize large, complex tasks and keep themselves on task? Because I do think we're going to see when training camps open, not just uh, rookies, some veterans, too. Without the structure that the offseason provides, maybe letting themselves go a little bit. Uh, I also think that the other challenge we're going to have is, I don't know, Paul, if you saw the Tom Pelissero showed the the memo yesterday that they're not going to allow, there's going to be a pool of beat writers, like four, I think, at the practices, and they're not going to be allowed to report on personnel packages. They're not going to be allowed to report on plays that are run in practices. So we're really going to be peeking through keyholes. Um, as far as rookie drafts or how to handle drafts, I've you know, there's tons of drafts going on. I think you have to fade the rookies in general. So if we're looking at these situations, Paul, like Damian Williams, Clyde Edwards Hilaire, Clyde Edwards Hilaire, like a second round, third round pick, Damian Williams falling to the seventh, eighth, ninth round. Maybe they should both be fourth, fifth round picks. Likewise with you know Taylor and Mack. Likewise with Dobbins and Ingram. Although Dobbins, I think people were a little cooler on than uh, Taylor and Edwards Hilaire. You know, uh, Henderson and Akers in these situations, Swift and carry on Johnson. And then with the rookie receivers, um, again, you have to think it was a tremendous year for rookie receivers last year, but how integrated are they going to be in the offense? How much are they going to have uh, a lack of chemistry with their quarterback? Uh, and then we have to, of course, apply this to players on new teams, teams with new coaches and new schemes. It's going to be a lot. 
And that doesn't even begin to address the chaos once the season starts. So I think this is going to be the most challenging year for any kind of football prognostication or projection because of all the unknowns. Yeah, I mean, and then you can even extend it out to teams and and players that are learning new systems. Like I know in New York, right. there's been a lot of talk about like, you know, Joe Judge and Jason Garrett and, you know, and, and how quickly Daniel Jones can hit the ground running and, and try to build on last year's success that he had at times. But it's a new scheme, new system. And it sure sounds like we're going the way of if there's an NFL season, there doesn't sound like there's going to be a preseason at all like no. at this point. No, so, and, go. and that's going to be a big deal, too, just because we do often see Paul, I know, you know, small sample sizes or it's preseason, who cares? But that's, that's when you get that little glimmer where you see the rookies that it, it comes easy to them, you know, where you see that it, it, it is that first indicator. So that preseason not being there is absolutely going to be a problem. And then, like you said about the new systems, if the B-Widers aren't reporting on like how how are we going to know like what the Jason Garrett system looks like with this personnel if the beat writers aren't allowed to report on it? So we have to do more reading between the lines, for sure. And you know, and when you, when you really stop and think about it, like it's always challenging enough to kind of you know see what the early season's going to look like with these rookies and how much playing time you know. But the preseason, I, I have drafts sometimes that happen right after the NFL draft, and then rookie drafts that happen in mid to late August. And usually I'm blown away by the differences. The names are the same, but the order in which, you know, there's an ebb and flow. The preseason and the training camp sometimes really can shoot somebody up for a rookie draft that's in mid to late August. But like this year, we're going to have nothing. There's not going to be a single data point. Whether you did the draft the day after the draft or you're doing the draft maybe a day before the regular season starts, there theoretically could be almost no difference because there probably is going to be nothing of substance that we gather from it. So it's going to be really interesting. So it's really just talking about these guys, what we thought of them as prospects and landing spots and and trying, like you said, look for the keyhole to to kind of discuss these guys. So let's go to the quarterback position Mm -hmm. because you have been at the forefront the last couple of years you know, pretty much driving the, the bus for guys like Lamar Jackson and Kyler Murray and saying, even in one quarterback type leagues, don't undervalue these guys. Go get them. They're special type of quarterback prospects. They have that running capabilities. So while Joe Burrow doesn't have that running component on a level of those guys, I, I think he's very athletic and he's more on like an Andrew Luck type spectrum in terms of his rushing ability. Where are you on Joe Burrow? Like, I obviously, we know the whole COVID situation impacts that. But if that wasn't even an issue, like, would you be aggressively targeting him in a rookie draft or much more subdued based on your excitement the last couple of years on guys like Kyler Murray and Lamar Jackson? Pretty similar. I mean, Lamar Jackson was easy because he was falling to the second round because he was, I think, the, what, the fifth quarterback off of the board that year. So it was just a ridiculous discount. Kyler Murray and Joe Burrow in the same part of the rookie draft in that late first, early second. Uh, I think you got to go after Joe Burrow. I mean, yes, you mentioned the running ability. What I like is Zach Taylor and Brian Callahan in the preseason, even in week one against Seattle last year, we saw hints of a very aggressive pass offense. And then, you know, the Bengals, well, they ended up with the first overall pick. So you can fill in the blanks from there. But we don't know, and Andy Dalton is a solid NFL quarterback, but we don't know how much he was holding back them unlocking the talent they have uh, in that offense with Joe Mixon, with Tyler Boyd, 
Hopefully, A.J. Green stays healthy. Hopefully, John Ross stays healthy. Auden Tate is a good player. Uh, They're going to get Jonah Williams back. So I hope that some of these young coaches, you know, Paul, we're one year removed now from the Sean McVay, Rolodex uh, hiring swave, you know, like, do you know Sean McVay? But these guys were supposedly hired to be aggressive, new, out-of-the-box thinkers in terms of offensive football. So I hope that they trust their players. Take a page out of Bill Belichick's book. Trust your players. Trust your players that even with limited practice, practice under different circumstances than we're used to, these guys have been playing football their whole lives. They've been preparing to be professionals their whole lives. So trust them and go with something aggressive. So Joe Burrow, we have to remember, I mean, Paul, is it hyperbole to say that last year's LSU offense is maybe one of the five greatest college offenses of all time? No, I think for sure. That's how much of that Burrow, how much of that stuff, personnel, how much taught Joe Brady, you know, then we could jump over to Carolina and Brady and Bridgewater and what that's going to amount to. So, yeah, I think for the third year in a row now, there is a fantasy quarterback you can get at a discount in rookie drafts who should level off somewhere in the top six or top eight and maybe as early as this year. Yeah, I'm right there with you. I've, I've been aggressively getting him as my second quarterback in best ball drafts, coming at a great value in like the round 14 to 16 range at times. Uh, I think in rookie dress, he's going a little bit later. I understand the excitement over the running backs and the wide receivers, but after the top five running backs and probably the top two wide receivers, I'm okay with Burrow in that 7-8 range in, in first round of rookie drafts, even if it's not super flex. I'm right there with you. Uh, if we take this to the other quarterback work discussion, where are you on Tua? Because I, I find it very fascinating that, one, people are under the false conception, too many people, you know, considering, you know, we have a lot of games of Tua in, in college, under the false conception that he's this runner. He really isn't. He's, very, he's mobile, and he can throw on the run and play off script, but he's not really a runner. I, I Even if he was healthy, I think Joe Burrow is more of a runner on the football field than, than Tua is. Where are you on Tua when you weigh the risk of – the health and the medical, uh, the probably even now lack of running, you know, because he might even be more cautious. Where are you on Tua? He can still be very good. This could be one of those situations where what's your scoring system? You know, if it's a point per 20 passing yards and five points for a passing touchdown or six points for a passing touchdown, or Tua looks a lot better, you know, bonuses for 300-yard passing games, he's going to be an excellent passer in the mold of, uh, you know, Drew Brees. Right. Or even a Peyton Manning, like an anticipation passer, certainly a quarterback that you're going to want to leverage his advanced processing and that quick hair trigger reaction and accuracy. And you see what they've got around him in Miami. You need to improve the offensive line. But they have Devontae Parker, Preston Williams. Hopefully he has a, a return to full health. Mike Kosicki, uh, you know, he's got some young weapons to develop with. And it's just the, that bar for quarterback is high for fantasy relevance, breaking into that top eight or top nine without a lot of passing contributions. But still, you know, he's falling to the mid-second. So that's still a value. You know, If I'm choosing between... Um, if I'm choosing between him and Keyshawn Vaughn or choosing between him and you know, I like Devin Duvernay a lot, but I'm just saying th- this becomes a lot easier. And you mentioned super flex leagues, two quarterback leagues, you know, that increases his value because I think that if it wasn't for the injury concerns, 
Paul, in terms of just pure NFL trajectory and value to his team, maybe not pure fantasy value, two is right there with Burrow. So I, I think, again, you know, revisiting it, it's been, it feels like it's been forever, two months ago at the draft. Just that adrenaline shot of, wow, Miami stayed put, and they still got their quarterback. Uh, and it's a question of those later picks on the offensive line, Austin Jackson, Robert Hunt, if those guys pan out in a year or two, this could be fun. The other thing I'm watching, Paul, is Chad O'Shea. You know, I don't know if you saw there's a little more insight. I was anonymous players saying that he was a terrible teacher. The offense was too complex. Uh, Chan Gailey, I think, will help them get something going that is more functional. But again, without an offseason, will take a little while for us to see it. Yeah, and I think they'll probably be a little bit cautious and, and we'll probably see Fitzpatrick for a period of time. But yeah, I'm right there with you. On natural talent alone, I think it's a very much 1A, 1B thing. I don't think the gap is very large between Tua and Burrow for, for at all. And if he was completely healthy, I think, you know, I don't think there would be there would be legitimate debate on who the better prospect I think was if Tua had didn't have these medical injuries and, and concerns moving forward. Last quarterback question: If there was one other quarterback that you'd kind of want to get a hold of in a dynasty rookie draft, would it be the next guy in line in, in Herbert, or would you be thinking a little bit more value and sitting on Jordan Love or the wild card that is Jalen Hurts? I've been taking love because he's falling to the fourth round. And at that point, no matter how stocked you are at quarterback, you have he's worth a roster spot uh, over guys like, I don't know, you know, Donovan Peoples-Jones. Watch, Donovan Peoples-Jones is going to be something <laughs> now, right? Because I just pulled his name out of the air. Um, but he, he's, he's going to start. He has to start in two or three years. There's just no way that this pick can be defensible if he goes into his fourth year without starting a game, because then they'll have already had to make their fifth year option uh, contract decision on him. And those contracts are fully guaranteed now, the fifth year option. So you're telling me now, you know, the cap might remain flat (laughs) for a little while, but you're telling me you're going to commit probably 25, $30 million to Jordan Love guaranteed in his fifth year without seeing him start a game. That's absurd. There's just no way they can do that. He's a good runner. I don't know if he's actually what Matt LaFleur wants. That's one of the things that's the most bizarre, revisiting draft night again, Paul. Even the idea of saying, well, you know, imagine Gutenkust and LaFleur saying, well, we think the key is having a rookie contract quarterback because then we can devote money here, there, everywhere and really make a run at a Super Bowl. And this... Love fell to the end of the first round. We can do this uh, because we can have a structure in terms of salaries that works a lot better. But he doesn't fit what LaFleur wants, right? He wants a Kirk Cousins. He wants a quarterback that's going to play very disciplined within structure. That's not Jordan Love at all. So that's the part that baffles me. But just a quarterback that we know is going to get to start for two or three years. And they have the first round quarterback benefit right where he has to fail over and over and over again before the team really gives up on him that's definitely worth a fourth round pick in rookie drafts yeah the value is unbelievable so i agree at the value that he would cost he would definitely be the guy yeah and it does make you just wonder that this could be it for Aaron Rodgers in Green Bay. This could be the one year unless they go to the Super Bowl unless he has an MVP caliber season 
they if not, they're just kind of treading waters. And it almost seems like right. it's inevitable that they have to make the move on, you know, and, and it almost seems like we're we're moving down a path that like, would anybody be really stunned if Cam Newton plays pretty well football for the Patriots? They he leaves, they get a compensatory pick for him because he goes signs to be a deal. And then the Patriots to say, you know what, we're not gonna continue to do the veteran route. We'll go take Aaron Rodgers off Green Bay's hands right. because they want to go to Jordan Love route. And not right. a lot of teams are, are, are right now are in a position to want to bring a veteran older quarterback in win now mode, but Belichick would. So it's like one of those things. It's like, are we, is this, this could possibly, I know everyone keeps saying, Oh, at least two years. I don't know about no. at least two years. And he I can, can understand too. Yeah. So he could force it if he's really unhappy. What a, listen, they were already a, a strong candidate to regress a little bit in terms of team victories and stuff like that from last year. I think they went 13 and three. So they were already at probably more of like an 11 and five team, 10 and 16. If they go nine and seven, 10 and six, even 11 and five, but lose in the first round of the playoffs, remember only one team gets a buy. I don't think it's going to be the Green Bay Packers. Like he could push the narrative and they might say, you know what? We're not ready to win a Super Bowl next year. Let's let's move to that next phase of, of what we want to be and coop some value because he still would get, you know, unless he really falls off the cliff, and I don't expect that this year, he would still garner value too on the trade market. So I think it could be sooner rather than later than people think. So it's going to be really fascinating to kind of watch the Jordan Love, Aaron Rodgers, Green Bay Packers situation kind of unfold there. If we take this to the running backs, mm-hmm. You, let's start at Keyshawn Vaughn because you already mentioned him. And I know we've yeah. had some conversations on, on Twitter and stuff. And there, there seems to be this, and I'm glad you brought it up before because if I'm, if I'm have the choice of Keyshawn Vaughn or either of the top two rookie quarterbacks, it's not a conversation for me. I know I'm not getting Keyshawn Vaughn in any dynasty dress. It's just the way I have him ranked and look at him as a player. I'd be more inclined to take a chance on him in a redraft league at a certain point than I would in a dynasty. Where are you sitting on the Keyshawn Vaughn hype train bandwagon? Because too many people are looking at him and and thinking he's this great receiving back. And I don't know where that preconceived notion came from either because his college statistics don't match up with that. And if you just watch him, you know, that's what we do here most of Saturday Sunday is watch these college guys. And we thought he was going to come out last year. If he came out last year, he would have seasons of like 8, 10, and 13 in his belt. And this past year, yeah, it jumped to 27, but it was really of the super short variety check down right. of a quarterback right. that was being pressured and scared. He's not, he's not going to be this guy that's looked at in the NFL world as this great pass catching running back that meshes perfectly with Tom Brady. So I'm out on him in most dynasty leagues based on where his ADP and he usually goes. Yeah. Well said. He's a check down receiver and he's an, baseline NFL running back. He's not, he's not a running back that you would see run and say, well, now our backfield is settled. Um, so I think there's misconceptions about him. I also think with the exception of Antonio Gibson, since Washington did announce him as a running back, the drop off in talent and ceiling from the second round running backs to the third round running backs is immense. I mean, I, I just don't think that Darrington Evans and Zach Moss and Keyshawn Vaughn are, anywhere near the level of J.K. Dobbins and Cam Akers and, and DeAndre Swift and, and Jonathan Taylor. Uh, so I'm staying far, far away. And I forget which one of the Tampa beat writers it was that said, look, unless Ro- Ronald Jones just falls on his face, just has an absolutely horrendous camp and preseason, he's the starter. And now when we add this 
offseason about uncertainty. So I think people are searching for a James White to for Tom Brady. Maybe that's Dario Ogubwale. Maybe not. Maybe they make another move. I don't know. It's not Keyshawn Vaughn. He's a replacement-level talent in the NFL. He can be a contributor. And look, running backs, I mean, we saw Peyton Barber have some games last year that were fantasy-relevant. So it can happen. But that's the other thing in the background here is how good will Tampa be at running the ball? Because maybe they'll get more volume with Tom Brady, but I don't think they'll get more efficient. And Ronald Jones is still about the same age as Keyshawn Vaughn, so the light bulb could come on to him for him. Every time I see Keyshawn Vaughn go in a rookie draft, I just say thank you to the person who took them ahead of me so one more player gets pushed down to my next pick. Absolutely. I'm 100% in agreement. And you know, we, we said before, like, I would I would say the odds are high. Like you said, replacement level player. If Tom Brady plays a second year with Tampa Bay and this isn't a one year deal for him and he's gone, I think I could see them very much either going one of two directions, getting a better talent in the draft in round one or two, which they probably wanted this year, but then none of them fell to where they wanted to take a running back. Or two, they could very much be in the team the team that looks to the free agent market, and maybe it's a Kareem Hunt, maybe it's a James Conner, and they want more of an established veteran to pair with Ronald Jones and Keyshawn Vaughn, but a guy who would come in and, and be the lead guy on that team. And I think anyone who takes Keyshawn Vaughn, they may have some they may have some weeks this year that they get that that they feel good about, but I think come next offseason they're going to regret that pick in in most dynasty settings at the value of where he's going if this was late late second round or early third round i'd say okay at that point let's take a stab on it but he you know i've seen him go round one i've seen him go yeah. top 10 top 12 and for me even early second is way too rich with this year's draft class uh for sure before we talk about the the top guys any Anybody else in some names, and we'll even put A.J. Dillon in there because I don't think he really belongs. As much as I liked his game, right. I'm not really sure he goes with that first top five. Is there anybody else? I know you have your Pittsburgh roots. Maybe it's Anthony McFarlane. Mm-hmm. Any else buddy intrigue you from that McFarlane, Zach Moss? You mentioned Antonio Gibson. Anybody in that group kind of intrigue you that if you can get them, in, whether it's the late second round in a rookie draft or third round, that kind of piques your interest? I'm pretty down on the second tier of backs. You can throw Josh Kelly in there, Lamichael Pirine. Um, the one and McFarland's interesting, if only because if James Conner can't stay healthy, the Steelers have this grab bag of all these different talents. You know, Jalen Samuels. I'm not giving up on Samuels yet. I think his knee was holding him back last year. Benny Snell, which I actually think if there's a numbers game and they have to cut somebody that's who I would cut I I would think they should keep Karis White over Benny Snell at this point but McFarland has that connection to Matt Canada from Maryland and hopefully they'll have some plays to get his speed set up as an element in this offense and then if Connor can't stay healthy he might be first in line but for me if I'm going to take a chance on anybody outside of that big five it would definitely be Antonio Gibson just because he has such a rare raw talent in terms of size and speed and it reminds me a bit of David Johnson from the northern Iowa era of his career I didn't like David Johnson as a runner we haven't seen Antonio Gibson as a runner very much but you can see Antonio Gibson has never caught from behind 
you know. Um, Antonio Gibson understands how to run routes. He's not at the level David Johnson was. David Johnson might have been the best receiving running back I have evaluated like in the last 10 years at looking at college tapes. So natural in so many ways. But Antonio Gibson knows how to get free out of the slot. He knows how to run a route. He's still, there's a lot to tighten up, but he understands the engagement that you have with the person trying to cover you in a way that like Keyshawn Vaughn, for instance, doesn't because he's a check down receiver. So I like that Washington without a second round pick still went after Antonio Gibson. And the other thing I'll throw out there is this um, Turner's calling the plays and Curtis Samuel, another wide receiver running back second round, amazing physical talent. Scott Turner in the last four games took over play calling for Carolina. Uh, Samuel got nine of his 19 carries in those four games. So if Scott Turner is more willing to use a slash player like Antonio Gibson and hey, Darius Geis, who knows if he can stay healthy, Bryce Love, I loved him pre-injury, but nary a peep from him. So I think Antonio Gibson could be one of those players like David Johnson in his rookie year that as the season goes on, does something every game where they say, we have to use him a little more. We have to use him a little more. And then the next thing you know, he's the most explosive element in the backfield, if not in the offense for Washington. I'd be really excited to have him and see what happens. Yeah, I'm right there with you. He's been the guy that, again, while nothing's really changed since draft night, I think my take and opinion on that landing spot has has improved a little bit, that I'm more intrigued by the skill set. Now, maybe partially it's with the lack of locked-in talent around them, but you bring up some really good points there about Turner and the play calling. You know, you look at a guy like Antonio Gibson and, and you dream about, oh, put him with Kyle Shanahan, put him in an offense that really knows how to, you know, get their guys the ball in the appropriate spot. You know, if Turner can do that for him, his play, his natural playmaking ability, I think, could come to the forefront. Uh, it looked like a little bit of like a luxury pick, like almost like the the, the cherry on top of a Sunday, mm-hmm. and they don't really have those that foundation. But on the flip side, it could be that because they don't have that foundation, he could be force fed a lot of opportunities early on to try to make some noise with them. So I think that's going to be really interesting to kind of see the Antonio Gibson thing. And I'm, I'm right there with you. The other guys are, are not guys that I'm actively targeting the McFarlands, the Pirines, uh, those type of players. I think they could have roles, but I just don't, I don't, I don't look at them and envision any of them having long term, you know, like, it, wow, if I miss that on them, I think they're going to turn into, you know, big time players. Uh, I usually pivot towards a different position, trade it for you know, a, a younger player that I like more, that people are still in the rookie fever pitch uh, for sure. So I think it's going to be interesting. But Gibson's the guy that intrigues me the most from that group. If we go back to the top five guys for a second, mm-hmm. we've already talked about today how this offseason, and you made it, maybe there shouldn't be as much of a gap in, in the Taylor and Mack and the Damian Williams and Clyde Edwards-Hilaire and J.K. Dobbins and Mark Ingram. If we, if we agree that this year is going to be a little bit of a bizarre year if there's football played, when you look at these guys, if I asked you to try to put on the crystal ball and look into the crystal ball, a year or two out, if you had to pick one guy who you think might be the top running back from that five and and maybe different than what you would draft right at this moment, right? who do you think a year or two out from now could be the guy that we look back at this class and say, listen, got a lot of really good running backs in this class, but this is the one that I wish I had on as many dynasty rosters as possible. Well, I mean, it's easy to say Edward Tolaire. So, I, I mean, I, we don't, you know, 
anytime someone's career is going to be attached to Patrick Mahomes and in this offense, you have to be excited, but he's going number one or number two in almost every rookie draft. So that's not exciting or interesting. Um, the one player I say is definitely not the answer in my eyes is DeAndre Swift, partially because I still like carry on Johnson, partially because I just don't think Detroit is the kind of organization that we are going to put a lot of confidence in to maximize the value of their players. Let's we'll see what TJ Hawkinson does in year two. Um, and, and also because it seems like they're hell bent on having a two back backfield. Like even if carry on Johnson two years from now leaves in free agency, they'll probably draft someone else in the second round. Uh, Cam Akers is the one that's really interesting. And unfortunately, it hinges on what Daryl Henderson does. I loved Daryl Henderson coming out of Memphis last year. Obviously, the Rams saw enough to say he's not the answer for them. Uh, he can still change that. He can still do like D'Angelo Williams did, where seeing that replacement brought in really invigorates you and brings out your best football. So I'll be watching for that. And also just that Daryl Henderson has at least been in an NFL building for a while and seen what NFL routines are like as far as conditioning and preparation may give him a little bit of an edge. But Cam Akers is one of those guys, Paul, like how can we, how much can we separate what we watch from Cam Akers from the Florida state offense and offensive line and how inept they were? Cause that's one of the things I think that comes out watching this on the Saturday side of the Saturday to Sunday equation that for running backs to impact the game, they have to have cooperation from their teammates, right? Like we can see quarterbacks and we can see wide receivers do things that are true, like individual plays, but you know, there's only one Barry Sanders, you know what I mean? There's just not. And uh, with Cam Akers, he was running uphill uh, through wet cement. Uh, you know, he d- did not have favorable conditions. Now I don't know if the Rams running game is going to be f- as favorable. They've got some new offensive linemen to work in there. But he might be a lot better than we realize. And he's a great pass blocker. He can run routes. He can do all those things detached from the formation. He can really fill the Todd Gurley role. So I think that Cam Akers is a guy that can, from a fantasy perspective and from an impact on a game perspective, be right there with Taylor and Edward Hilaire and Dobbins, although they're a little flashier talents than he is because he was playing in a bad offense. Yeah, I mean, listen, Akers, you know, as someone who follows Florida State very closely, I mean, he was helped out minimal in his time there at Florida State. And I think, you know, if you flip-flopped him with any of the other running backs, whether it was DeAndre Swift, Jonathan Taylor, Edward Tulare, J.K. Dobbins, I think the narrative on – I don't think Cam Akers would be looked at as the consensus number four, number five, wherever people had him right. pre-draft. I think he would have been higher on most people's boards if he was in these more ideal situations. So you bring up points, and we know the Rams. We've seen it firsthand with Todd Gurley, just how much the surrounding supporting cast, the play calling, and the offensive line impact what a, what, what a performance by a, a young running back could look like. So I, I do think Akers is really intriguing. I think Dobbins, you know, we don't know – Listen, I'm super excited about J.K. Dobbins. He, he's very high. You know, I've contemplated taking him over Jonathan Taylor right after Clyde Edwards-Hilaire. But, you know, we all are so quick to say, oh, Mark Ingram will be gone. But do they replace Mark Ingram with another very competent back to keep that backfield as a really strong asset there? We don't know that. Uh, so, I, so it's not as easy as saying, oh, a year from now, J.K. Dobbins will be the guy. Sure, if we could have that vision and say he's guaranteed 18 to 20 touches, 
I think a lot of people would potentially say J.K. Dobbins could be that guy that we're talking about as well, but we don't know that. So I think it's going to be interesting. I think I think we're going to see. I don't look at a lot of these guys. I think four. I think I think I feel good at four. Probably of the five, end up being really good, viable fantasy factors. And I hope that a new regime in Detroit uh, can get the best out of DeAndre Swift and maybe even carry on Johnson a year from now because I do think both of those guys are very talented as well. Uh, I just don't have a lot of trust in their current, you know, organizational setup there, coaching, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, so right now he's been number five on, on that ranking for me as well in rookie drafts. If we if we move to another position and one quick tight end question because next sure. year's next year's tight end class I started watching we're gonna have some guys to talk about next year I just finished watching twelve tight ends for next year and we don't know if we'll have a college football season or we're gonna be going by what these guys have already done in there but next year's class will be intriguing it will be more of like previous year's class mm-hmm. than this year but if there is one guy is it is there one guy that intrigues you that maybe third round of a rookie draft mm-hmm. he's staring at you? And if so, is it Asiasi or, or Adam Trapman? Because that's going to be my guess for you. Yes. That's going to be one of those two. It's, you know what I've been doing, Paul? And I, 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 this is one of those things where someone asks me a question like this. I'd say, don't do that. Pick one. I actually have been alternating, right? <laughs> so like one draft, I'll take Troutman. The other draft, I'll take a CSC. Um Troutman is interesting just because when the Saints get their eye on somebody – trust them right when the saints decide this is the guy that fits our system this is the guy that fits the role that we want uh, to play because you know they got jimmy graham in the third round he barely played a lick of football and we saw what he went on to do troutman uh obviously stood out on that dayton tape was it the first player from dayton drafted in like 43 years or something um he stood out the way a small school school player should you know he looks like the best player on the field he looks like the other defenders just don't have a uh, hope of stopping him with his ability to play above the rim athleticism. Uh, and I'm just excited as Jared cook hands the, the tight end thrown over to him in a year or two, but a CSC probably has the highest ceiling because sometimes cause he's just so thickly built, but also athletic. And he has a little bit of that zest for the game. He's a late bloomer. But that zest for the game, I'm not necessarily comparing him to Kelsey or Kittle or Gronkowski. And I think even Tyler Higbee we may be talking about as that kind of player. And what I mean is a guy who, because it's tight end, man, it's a rough position. It's even rougher than running back as far as injury rates and what these guys are asked to do. So when you see a guy that likes to mix it up as a blocker, a guy that when he's in the open field looks like if you're a defensive back coming him, you should be more scared than him you know for the incoming hit csc looks exciting and now the potential uh with him and cam newton because greg olson was cam newton's number one receiver for a long stretch of his time in carolina working in the middle of the field so that's exciting so i flip flop back and forth i and i also think with both guys you have a question of who's playing quarterback in two or three years mm, no I don't know, you know, for either of these teams. So that's a little bit troubling. But again, it's kind of like that Jordan Love question where, hey, in the third round, I'll put him on the bench in the incubator in a year or two. We'll see what we've got. Yeah, I'm right there with you. And I have I have talked to you enough. I have listened to your stuff enough. We've had you on here enough that I know I knew your answer wasn't going to be Cole Komet. Like I, I just no, know your prototype. <laughs> I know your prototype. And, and I'm right there with you. Adam Trapman was my number one tight end. 
uh, before the draft. I was excited about the landing spot. When I look at him, even the smaller school film, to me, I love Dallas Goddard, a player. I think we we're just waiting on the breakout to come from Dallas Goddard at some point. I got some of those vibes watching their college film. And I think Trapman could develop. And I, I remember hearing a lot of reports from the Senior Bowl that he was a much better blocker than people thought he was going to be. Because at Dayton, they're not asking him to do that. So it was one of those things that, like, do we not know if he can do it or is he bad at it? And I think at the Senior Bowl, you heard that he was he was much better at it than I think people expected him to. And same thing with Dallas Goddard, who's turned into a very good blocker. They just weren't asked to do it at college because they were their team's best receiver. And then Asi Asi, I remember talking about him pre-draft with, with, with uh, Matt Waldman, and we both had him in our top fives, and we were talking about him that if, if there's one guy who can develop into the most complete tight end from this class in terms of body type, a guy who could develop and play in line more regularly than some of these other guys, Asi Asi has the body type. He's got to refine techniques and get stronger holding the point of attack, but he's an athletic guy, but also has got a great size and frame on him that he can play in line and learn how to play in line in addition to those receiving capabilities. So I'm right there with you. Those are the two guys that I would start thinking about somewhere in the middle of the third round to just kind of hold and stash away uh, for sure. If we take this to the wide receiver and the amount of wide receivers is endless. So we'll, we're going to end the night here on wide receivers and I'm just going to kind of open the floor yeah. Anywhere you want to go in wide receivers, who are some of the guys that you're that you're most intrigued by? Maybe not the top guys, maybe guys right. a little bit later in round one, or guys that based on their value, that they're guys that you want to try to get on some of your dynasty rosters. And some of this is based on observations that will be done rookie drafts to make the conversation a little different than the one we had two months ago, because I'm sure I'm saying some of the same things we said before the draft. Um, first of all, the uh, when you're seeing C.D. Lamb and Jerry Judy to a lesser extent, but I especially C.D. Lamb because of the running backs, you will see C.D. Lamb as far as sixth or even seventh on your rookie draft board. Trade up to get him. If you don't have, if you see C.D. Lamb falling, he's going to be great. This offense is going to be great. The Cowboys did the right thing. Forget about need. Make strength stronger. Just you know, the Cowboys had an excellent, excellent draft. And it started with C.D. Lamb, and he should be a, the number three pick in rookie drafts. If I mean Taylor and Edward Tolaire are pretty hard to ignore, even Dobbins, maybe number four. Um, then you have this group, Paul, that is really interchangeable. Uh, usually, Jefferson is the first in the group. Although I don't know if he deserves to be first in the group because he's going to be in Adam Thielen's shadow for a little while, and it's not exactly a high volume pass offense. And then in any order, you know, you have. Mims, maybe Ayuk becomes a little more interesting with the Debo Samuel injury, um, Higgins, um, uh, and so on. And I see in every draft LaVisca Chenault as the last one there. I, in two or three rookie drafts, moved up to the mid-second when I saw LaVisca Chenault fall that far. And then by the time I did the first two or three, I started trading down from the late first to the early mid-second because I had a good feeling Chenault would be there. And if there's one guy out of that group... Michael Pittman is another name in that group. If there's one guy out of that group that could just pull away. Now, granted, there's the Cordero Patterson downside, although I, I don't think that he's as deficient in, in certain areas. Let's call it taking place from the chalkboard to the field. <laughs> That's why I think the tactful way that they would describe Cordero Patterson's or the hole in this game. But, you know, we go back to 2018 LaVisca Chenault, and you could have made an argument that he 
was in the running to be the first wide receiver off the board in this class. Now, injuries, it's, I don't want to bury the lead and say, well, injuries robbed him from his, his athletic upside this year, but or last year, 2019, that could end up being the story of his career, right? Like he's never able to stay healthy for long, and we don't get to see what he's capable of. But if we do get to see what he's capable of, he could easily pull away from that group. Now, Jacksonville's got a lot of uncertainty coming up, but at least they've expressed the desire to do a lot of different things with him. Because that you just this is one of those guys, just get the ball in his hands. I don't think it has to be that difficult. Moving on, the guys that stand out to me are Devin DuVernay. You've got speed in the slot. Lamar Jackson, his best part of the field to throw to is the middle of the field. And then you have defenses that are going to have heavy boxes. They're already stressed out trying to defend Mark Andrews in the middle of the field. They're stressed out trying to contain Lamar Jackson as a runner, in addition to defending the running game. And hopefully Marquise Brown stays healthy and Miles Boykin develops. I Devin DuVernay, give me with his rugged game, you know, that running back mentality, but with slot receiver speed, good game at the catch point. Give me him one-on-one against slot corners. And I like that matchup. I like Antonio Gandy-Golden as a swing for the fences upside pick, maybe as a long-term outside running mate to uh, Harry McLaurin. Um, you know, there are times that Gandy-Golden is just breathtaking in terms of his length, his athleticism, his aggressiveness after the catch, his aggressiveness at the catch point. Quint- and then Quintez Cephas is almost at the other end of the spectrum, right? Athletically, at least in terms of testing, he's not really going to lift up your skirt. But if he's in the middle of the field running a route, he's a professional, right? Who was it? Uh, Jeffrey Okuda. It's the toughest receiver he faced in college, right? So Quintez Cephas has that uh, professional's approach to route running, releases. And I look at Marvin Jones as maybe not even being on the Lions by midseason. And he slides right into that role. Uh, I think that much like Marvin Jones, Kenny Galladay's become everything we could have hoped he would be. But he's not a great route runner. He's not a separator. He's not your third and seven target. That's been Marvin Jones. I think Quintez Cephas could become that guy. So when we get to the second half of rookie drafts, I'm looking for Duvernay, Gandy Golden, and Cephas. Yeah, a couple of things that you brought up that I want to circle back on. I like the Quintus call late in drafts, and I'm on record as saying, unless the Lions are headed towards the playoffs, I think Marvin Jones could be that prime trade candidate. We've already seen them trade, you know, Golden Tate a couple years ago. I could see a team, you know, like last year the Patriots traded for Mohamed Sanu. I could see a team in the playoff push who needs a veteran wide receiver and Marvin Jones still has some game left that they could potentially trade him during the season and open up a spot where maybe Cephas starts to get on the field a little bit more the second half of the year. Uh, the Duvernay thing is interesting because I think after he has, I think once he has the ball in his hands, he's got a little DJ more to his game. Like mm-hmm. he's built similarly and a team that, like you said, you're not going to be able to spend much time or focus on him. So he's a guy who really, you know, he's a guy who broke out this year in college football, but he's been a name that for people who, you know, follow college football closely. We've been waiting for this breakout for years. There were other things, injuries and stuff like that. But this was a guy that was expected to be a great player. It just took him a while to finally live up to that billing. And in that offense, I think it's going to be very interesting to see the things they do. And, you know, as Lamar Jackson 
continues to age a little bit, obviously very young guy, they're going to they're gonna want to minimize his running a little bit. It's always going to be a big integral part of his game. But there will be times where there will be more pass attempts. Maybe not this year, maybe not year two from now, but maybe by Devin DuVernay's third year, you're probably going to start to see Baltimore's total number of pass opportunities open up. And he's also a guy that can make noise similar to Debo Samuel in those Jet sweeps and end the rounds, the, the push passes, whatever you want to call them. I think he can do a lot of that stuff. So I'm intrigued by Duvernay too. And, you know, people aren't really putting him near some of those other guys that went in the top 100. Like I see Van Jefferson going consistently much higher than him sometimes in rookie drafts. And I want Duvernay, especially at the, the, the difference in their ranges. Uh, I'm right there with you. If you go back to your CD Lamb discussion, I remember from the hilltop screaming, not people to overreact to Calvin Ridley having to play alongside Julio Jones. And I still think Calvin Ridley is a tremendous buy because of that, because people are still too worried about Julio Jones. I would not be worried about Amari Cooper, Michael Gallup. I think there's plenty to go around for everybody now. And I think in two or three years, one of them is going to be gone. And it's probably going to be Gallup or Cooper that they can get out of that contract after two years or whatever. So I think C.D. Lamb attached to probably Dak Prescott unless something goes really weird with negotiations. <laughs> uh, so I, I'm right there with you. C.D. Lamb, to me, very intriguing, the opportunity. And final question tonight, I want to I bring up Jerry Judy because he was one name that didn't come up there. Where do you stand a little bit on Jerry Judy? Do you think being pro and excited about Judy means you have to take a step back on Cortland Sutton? Do you think there is enough to go around? I mean, we know there's enough to go around for two receivers in many offenses. Do we think Denver can morph into that? Do we think Drew Locke? I know, obviously, you guys talk about the Broncos. Cecil is very close to the Broncos. You know, where do you kind of stand in terms of the Broncos and what to make of Locke and his development tied to Judy and Cortland Sutton? I didn't love the landing spot for him. I, I mean, I understand the pick for Denver. I understand why they went with him. Uh, and I think it all does intersect with Locke. And then can all these mouths get fed? Because and remember, Melvin Gordon, it's Pat Shermer offense. Melvin Gordon's going to get a lot of targets, right? Uh, you also have them in the fourth round drafting Albert Ogwegbunam. Sorry, he does not trip over that. Uh, <laughs> who That was Locke's guy in the red zone in Missouri. I mean, Paul, how can you not read into that, that this is one of those situations where Elway's saying, you're our guy, and we're going to go get you your guy. And they also had Noah Fant, who they drafted in the first round last year. And then they got K.J. Hamler in the second round this year. The other thing is, I do think that of all of these guys, Judy's game maps the least to uh, the strengths of Locke, Right. When I think of Locke, in a best-case scenario, he's a Jay Cutler. He's a Matthew Stafford. He's got a looseness to his game, right? You don't think of Drew Locke as this very precise within structure, timing, you know, hit the five-step drop, balls out, you know, you know the anticipating. Because what you like about Jerry Judy is he can separate with the best of them in his class. His routes, his uh, suddenness at the stem of his route, his ability to get in the head of his opponent and understand how to induce in them exactly opening their hips the wrong way or having them be like a half beat late. That's what Judy does. And I just don't see this being a timing rhythm based offense 
with the kind of strengths that Drew Locke has. So I don't know that Jerry Judy is going to live up to his ceiling at least early on. And then after that, that's where you bring up going all the way back around to what we talked about earlier, maybe the most fat, one of the most fascinating stories to watch as this year unfolds is where does Aaron Rodgers going to play next? I think Denver is a team you have to look at. John Elway loves to chase the big fish. You know, um, even your Giants, you know, uh, the Cleveland, you know, teams that are looking at their quarterback this year and saying, we, we need to see this much progress or this much of a fit in our new offense. All three of these guys have new offensive coordinators. And otherwise, you have a sense of urgency always in the NFL chance to get Aaron Rodgers. So I think all three of those quarterbacks, two of them in their second year, one in the third year, are in a kind of referendum year on whether they're really the guy to build around for these new head coaches in two cases. And in John Elway's case, I think that the Broncos, you know, it's one of the stories that hasn't really been reported on very much around the league, speaking of my man Cecil and and the Denver beat. They don't really have an owner. You know, they don't really have someone at the top of the organizational chart where the buck stops. It's been Elway, basically. But I think that you're not going to see that last forever. Let's just put that out there. And I think Elway knows that this is the window, and I like the aggressiveness on the offense they put around it. It's just around Drew Locke. It's just a question of if Drew Locke can make that kind of leap. And I think that because you're asking so many young players and and rookies to ramp up, uh, that it might be a little bit of an underachieving offense this year. Go back to the original fantasy question. I do think that maybe, again, fade the rookies, right? Who does that point to? Cortland Sutton. Yeah, I, I think I agree with a lot of what you just said there. And it's, they, it's basically like you said, they went out and got Okawebenam, they got KJ Hamler, they got Jerry Judy, Noah Fant, you know, Cortland Sutton. They have this cast of guys. They, it almost does feel like John Elway saying, okay, it's sink or swim time. We're going to ride with Drew Locke this year and we're going to get a good read on what he is because they didn't invest that first round in him. So I think that gives them a little bit of an out. If he was a top 10 pick, even now we've seen teams move on, obviously, some unique scenarios, but we've seen teams be more willing or at least open to the idea. But as a second round pick, I think if he doesn't show a lot of progress and growth and development this year, you're right. We may see John Elway, if he's still the one making the calls, say, you know what, I'm going to go the veteran route. And if a guy like Aaron Rodgers became available I think that might be the route he chooses to go rather than go back into the rookie quarterback world again because most likely the Broncos aren't going to be bad enough without a monster trade-up to be in the Trevor Lawrence, Justin Fields mm-hmm. type of range. So then you're talking about the next guys. you know. So is he going to want to go that route again? And then if so, would he even move on from Drew Locke? You know, so it would probably be that veteran route. So I, I can see that. And, and the more and more we're talking, I've had Judy was my number one wide receiver leading up to the draft on talent alone. And even for a while, I've held firm having him as my number one post-draft. But I think the more and more I've talked with people coming on the show here, I think more and more the, the comfort level with the surrounding cast in Dallas, knowing that most likely Dak's there for the long haul, I think makes me more intrigued by... C.D. Lamb and his ceiling than some of the uncertainty that is, that's surrounding by Jerry Judy. So I think that's going to be really interesting and not on a rookie note, but you mentioned some possible scenarios for Aaron Rodgers and we talked about New England before. I would say one other one that I think would be really interesting 
is if the 49ers take a little yes. bit of a step back this year, yes. don't get to the Super Bowl, maybe don't even make it to the NFC title game. What about Aaron Rodgers yes. ending up back on the West Coast where we thought all those years ago he was going from California to San Francisco and then they threw the curveball of curveballs to go, mm-hmm. you know, Alex Smith. I could totally see the Niners saying, listen, we took two shots with Jimmy Garoppolo. We got to the Super Bowl loss. Right. We got to the, you know, the second round of the playoffs and loss. We need to upgrade. Where's the one area we could upgrade? We think we're pretty good everywhere else. We need better quarterback play. Maybe Aaron Rodgers is the guy that can get us over to hump. So that would be my, that would be my Aaron Rodgers wild card prediction, yes. San Francisco. <laughs> Look, I, I wanted to mention them, but I feel like this is where I, uh, my mayor of narrative street, uh, moniker comes a little too much to the surface because first of all, Kyle Shanahan was not shy about saying, well, yeah, we looked into Tom Brady. I think it's pretty common knowledge that Kirk cousins, if he hadn't signed that extension with Minnesota would have been a target for Kyle Shanahan next year. Again, barring Jimmy Garoppolo winning a super bowl. The other thing that I wonder about Paul, just from a psychological perspective, what's the lasting image from the super bowl? I mean, I know that it's, you got the third and 15 and Mahomes and, and Tyreek Hill. But come on, man. The lasting image of the Super Bowl is Manuel Sanders breaking free downfield and Jimmy Garoppolo missing him. I mean, that was Jimmy Garoppolo's all-time Super Bowl moment. It was the, the gods handed it to him on a silver platter, and he missed. And this game is a game of confidence, and that's a long offseason to sit with that and how confident is he going to be or how much does he feel in the back of his mind that everything, because remember San Francisco didn't get to the Super Bowl. Okay. He played really well against the saints and that was a game that got them the number one seed. So he deserves credit for that, but they didn't get to the Super Bowl at all on Jimmy Garoppolo's efforts. You know, I mean, Nick Mullins could have started those two playoff games and they would have won. Right. So how does Jimmy Garoppolo deal with, knowing that he is on a team that is open to replacing him. And in the biggest moment of his career, he failed. You know, uh, I'm very interested in that. And I think that, of course, Kyle Shanahan would leap at the possibility of getting to have Aaron Rodgers in his system. Yeah, and it could be they look at it as we get Aaron Rodgers for the back end of his career, and then we let Kyle Shanahan handpick somebody after yeah. that. They, they, he's there for the long haul at this point. And we know things can change quickly, but you know, I do envision him having, having an extended time there as the, as the 49ers head coach. And it could be one of those, let's go the veteran route, let's try to win it with Aaron Rodgers, and then let's let him handpick somebody he wants in the future, you know, when the time is right or the, the development, you know, even if Aaron Rodgers is there, maybe, you know, a year or two into his run, start looking at a guy that maybe intrigues him in the draft. So really interesting stuff. You know, Sig, always an absolute pleasure to have you here at Saturday to Sunday. Please, I'm sure almost all the audience knows where to find you and find all your great work. But please, anything you want to talk about that you got going on at Football Guys, anything else, please share with my audience. Yeah, just, you know, Football Guys, we got new content every day. And like everybody else, you know, we're lighting our prayer candles. We want there to be a season, a safe season, a season where everybody is healthy. Well, as healthy as football players can be. Uh, and um, our content will remain free at least through middle of July for you to check out what we're doing there. If you obsess about football, then you belong with football guys. But I know, again, people that are already familiar with your show know that. So it's always a pleasure. I think that anytime we get to spend time together, whether it was just hanging out and talking football or life 
uh, if it wasn't recorded and it wasn't for all these wonderful people that we're serving, we would still do it and look forward to it. And uh, I just, I always appreciate the chance to come on here. Absolutely. I echo the exact same sentiments. It was fun talking to you before we went on air and then obviously turn into the football talk once we got on here. Always a pleasure. Guys, please make sure you're following all the great work that they're doing there over at Football Guys, following SIG, listen to the podcast and all the great content that they put out. So on behalf of SIG, on behalf of our sound tech engineer, David Nakano and myself, thank you for joining us. And we look forward next time taking you from Saturday to Sunday.